You're listening to Comedy Central. December 17, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Our guest tonight was just crowned Miss Universe 2019. South Africa's very own Zozibini Tunzi is joining us, everyone. <laughs> also on tonight's show, pirates are stealing Christmas, why black people hate therapy, and the Mona Lisa has an evil twin. So let's catch up on today's headlines. <laughs> let's kick it off with the major news that is shaking up the art world. For a century, the Mona Lisa has been considered one of the most important paintings of all time. But now we're learning it may only be half as special as we thought. There is only one Mona Lisa, right? Well, maybe not. This morning, what might be another Mona Lisa? If it turns out to be a real Mona Lisa, it could be worth half a billion dollars. This controversial other portrait, so similar to Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece, has long sparked intense debate. Is it just a copy or an earlier version finished by da Vinci himself? The minute I saw this work, I was really blown away. It took me five minutes and I was convinced. Uh, it took you five minutes and you were convinced? <laughs> Maybe take 10 minutes or 15 before you shake history? What's your rush? Like, maybe if you'd taken more than five minutes, you might have noticed that the new Mona Lisa is wearing AirPods, huh? <laughs> because you realize, if it's true, this story is huge. Two Mona Lisas, Mona Lisas, Mona Lisai. <laughs> However you say it, this is huge. Because it means that people in the 16th century treated paintings the same way we treat Instagram today. Yeah, just like, no, paint it again, I blanked. <laughs> also, my smile is weird on that one. I can't tell if I'm smiling or not. I didn't even see it. I feel like this picture needs a filter. Let's go to Valencia. <laughs> Oh, and speaking of earth-shattering news, global warming. Every day we move closer and closer to an all-out climate emergency. And if you're worried that world leaders aren't up to the challenge, well, you're right. And a dire warning about the future after the United Nations climate talks come to an end in Madrid. There's very little action, even though evidence of climate change is all around. The world struggled to respond to the crisis at a UN climate summit in Madrid. We are a little confused about what documents are being discussed. Uh, we're starting to get a little lost. Uh, we are kind of lost. Uh, okay. These are the warning signs our climate is in trouble. 200-foot flames this weekend raced across the Australian outback in Sydney, the smoke is so bad, it's like smoking 32 cigarettes a day. Greenland is losing ice seven times faster than it was in the 90s. The warnings are there, but who is listening? Are you shitting me? The world is falling apart and leaders at the UN couldn't agree on what to do? Yeah, we don't know where the papers are. I'm sorry, we, we're a little confused. You know what, from now on, climate meetings shouldn't be in a comfy conference room. They should be held on a melting glacier. That's where it should be. Get these people some motivation. That's what that should be. You'll figure that shit out. 
And you know, as much as we're disappointed at how slow our leaders are to act, I think it's movies that we should blame for making us think that leaders are decisive in the first place. Cause like, you watch Armageddon and it's like, sir, an asteroid is headed to Earth. And it's like, all right, get me Bruce Willis and the guy who's not good at being Batman. Come on, let's go. <laughs> but if it, like Armageddon happened in real life, we'd be like, sir, an asteroid is coming to Earth. And we'd be like, okay, wait, are we calling it an asteroid or a comet? <laughs> let's convene a panel to discuss terminology, okay? We don't need a panel, we need a committee. Wait, is it a committee or a panel? I'm lost. <laughs> but we can't keep delaying action. This is serious. The earth is getting hotter. The oceans are getting hotter. Kumail Nanjiani is getting hotter. <laughs> we have to stop this madness. All right, and finally, some entertainment news. Amazon is producing a Lord of the Rings TV show. And if you think you don't have the looks for Hollywood, this casting call might change your mind. If you are hairy, toothless, extremely tall, extremely short, you could be an extra in the new Lord of the Rings series. The new Amazon show is based on the mythical land of Middle-earth and begins production in New Zealand next year. An ad from one of the two local talent agencies helping with the search said it was looking for people with, among other things, missing teeth and wonderful noses. Wow. Missing teeth and wonderful noses. <laughs> Sounds less like a casting decision and more like their makeup artist quits. Yeah, now they're just like, all right, anybody uh, that we're gonna cast has to come already ugly, all right? We're gonna do this? <laughs> and by the way, I know they say that this is for the show, but this might just be a trap for tricking people into working in Amazon's warehouses, yeah. <laughs> You'll be there like, I'm here for the audition. They're like, all right, take that PlayStation, put it in a box. Just keep doing that. Do it again and again and again. What does this have to do with Lord of the Rings? Yeah, they, they're doing PlayStations now, it's a thing. <laughs> So if you think you can play an orc or a dwarf or a hobbit, you can hit Amazon up. But if you were looking to play Smeagol, bad news, they already gave that part to Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got it. He's got it already. And that's, that's really gonna mess the story up, right? Cause he's gonna be in the story in Lord of the Rings. They're gonna be like, we're going to Mordor to find the ring. And he'll be like, and dirt on Joe Biden. <laughs> All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. The holiday season is finally upon us. And you know what that means. Family, decorations, and an old man breaking into your house while the children are asleep. I still don't understand how that's legal. But unfortunately, for a lot of people, Christmas can also be a tough time emotionally. They call it the most wonderful time of the year, but the holidays can also bring boatloads of stress. Believe it or not, there is such a thing as festive stress. Holidays are typically the busiest time of year for mental health professionals. 64% of people experience feelings of anxiety or depression during the holidays. Yeah, it turns out the holiday season is the worst time for anxiety and depression, which makes sense. Because think about it, you see your whole family and they're either not doing well or they're all doing better than you. Either way, it sucks. <laughs> now, one thing people can do is book more time with their therapist. But unfortunately, that's not an option for everyone. And it's especially challenging for black people. But let's find out why that is in another installment of If You Don't Know, Now You Know. <laughs> There are few groups who could stand to benefit from therapy more than black people. I mean, think about all the things black people have been through. Slavery, segregation, winter, all <laughs> equally traumatic experiences. But unfortunately, 
even as therapy has become more mainstream, the black community has had a tough time getting the help that they need. It's hard enough to get mental health treatment in the U.S., but studies show that racial and ethnic minorities are significantly less likely to receive mental health treatment than whites. Black and Hispanic children are less likely to get mental health care than white kids. And studies show that irritability in the average white teenager is often labeled as depression. That same behavior is more likely to be seen as disruptive in black or Latino children, and doctors say that can lead to feelings of hopelessness at a very young age. Yes, one of the reasons many black people don't get the proper treatment is misdiagnosis. What is seen as depression in white people can be seen as disruptive behavior in black people. And this shouldn't be surprising, right? This kind of thing happens in medicine all the time, mixed diagnosis. It's like when a black person has a seizure, it's a medical emergency. But when a white person does it, it's called dancing. (laughs) But it turns out... It turns out... Even when black people are properly diagnosed with mental health issues, it can still be a challenge to find a therapist who's equipped to handle their needs. Making the crisis worse, not enough African-American therapists. Today, only 4% of psychologists are black. Kevin Durden says admitting he needed help was actually easier than finding it. He saw three different therapists, but felt that none of them understood the stress and emotions unique to black men. When Taraji P. Henson's own son, Marcel, was struggling, she found it nearly impossible to find him one. Trying to find a culturally competent therapist was like looking for a purple unicorn with a gold horn. Do they understand the cultural context from which I'm coming from? Do they understand the culture that I live in? That's right. It's extremely difficult for black people to find a black therapist. And it's been like this for a very, very long time. I mean, that's why Martin Luther King Jr. was always describing his dreams to huge crowds. You know, it's just like, I had another dream (laughs) that I'm being chased by bears in my underwear. Does anyone here know what that means? (laughs) Now, now you may think, you may think that a therapist's race shouldn't matter at all. And that's true. But if you think about it, it does make sense. For many white therapists, no matter how good they are, it can be hard to understand the particular experiences of a black person. You know, just sitting there in a session, even if they're trying, it could be like, so you say people are following you around the store and you're invisible, but only to taxi drivers? Hmm, (laughs) paranoid delusions. (laughs) So when it comes to mental health, there's a very real struggle for black people to access healthcare, get diagnosed correctly, and find a therapist who can relate to them. But if that wasn't bad enough, there's another major hurdle stopping black people from getting therapy, and it comes from the black community itself. We have a stigma in the black community when it comes to dealing with mental health. Black students say where they come from, it's shameful to talk about anxiety, depression, and trauma. It's not okay to have mental health issues or like, that's a white people thing. I've heard all the time, black men don't go to therapy, they go to the barbershop. I told my own mother that I was seeing a therapist and she said, you don't need to see a therapist. What you need to do is see a preacher. You got Jesus. Right. You don't need anything else. Right. You know, just buck it up. Ah, yeah. That's a line every black person knows all too well. You don't need therapy. You need Jesus. <laughs> and my response is always, why can't we use both? Because church is a great place for community, but therapy is great for one-on-one mental health needs. I mean, I bet Jesus himself wish he could have gone to therapy at times, you know? Just be like, so my best friend betrayed me and I was born in a freaking barn. Plus my birthday always falls on Christmas, so I only get one set of presents. It's so shitty. 
so yes, part of the problem, part of the problem is that there's a major stigma in the black community around therapy. And honestly, I can understand why many black people would rather deal with problems at church. It's a familiar place for us, right? You trust the people there. And it's also a fun atmosphere. Like therapy doesn't seem fun. Church is, is cool. I get it. In fact, that's what I was thinking. Maybe, maybe that's one way we could try and help solve this therapy crisis. We need to make therapy a little bit more like black church. And I think it would be pretty dope. I don't know, it's just really hard for me to let people in. And I feel like it's probably because every time I show affection, it just feels like weakness. Uh-huh. Did y'all hear that? Did y'all hear what Brother Jabuki just said right here? Brother Jabuki said that he can't show affection because it feels like weakness. But before we can understand what hurt us, you gotta understand who hurt us. Who hurt your brother, Jabuki? Oh, wow, wow. I, I would probably say my, my father. Because he was really emotionally distant, but then so was his father, which is probably where he got it from. The sins of the father <laughs> passed down from generation to generation. And what will break this cycle other than a reflective analysis of the ego's hold on your psyche? I need to self-actualize. You need to what? Self-actualize? Self-actualize. 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 He's going to empower himself. Overcome his demons. Deal with his forgotten memories. Repression. Confront his dysfunctional avoidance of intimacy. He didn't go to prom. 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 We're out of time. We can pick this up next week. Right. Thank you so much. I've just been going through a lot, and it was really helpful to talk to <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, it should actually be covered. I have Blue Cross. Son, the only cross in my network is Jesus. of online retailers, it seems like everything is getting delivered to our doorstep. Last year, my cousin was pregnant and her baby showed up in an Amazon envelope. <laughs> yeah, they saved on hospital bills and free shipping. But if you're one of the millions of people waiting for a holiday package to be delivered to you, you better watch out because some assholes are coming to town. Faster than they arrive, packages can disappear. Tonight, porch pirates are striking across the country just as a record number of deliveries are being made. Captured on camera, but not always caught by police, the New York Times says nationwide, more than 1.7 million packages are stolen or go missing every day. 90,000 in New York City alone. An astonishing $25 million in lost goods and services across the country. Sweet Lord, 2 million packages stolen a day. 90,000 in New York alone. I mean, I only steal like two or three a week, but I guess it adds up. (laughs) And by the way, why is the news calling them porch pirates? (laughs) These people just steal shit. That's just called thief. (laughs) Don't be making people sound cooler than they are. (laughs) Oh, I'm a Walgreens pirate. No, you're a shoplifter. (laughs) 
a real porch pirate would attack your porch with a crew and then take it over. Yeah, the house would still be yours, but every morning you'd have to swashbuckle your way to your car. You're like, ha, 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 I'm out. Ah, shit, I forgot my phone. Ha, 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 ha. Be like, ah, you win this time, Steve. But we'll see you when the sun sets, ah. Actually, I have a lot of work, so I'm gonna be home late. Ah, again, Steve? Your marriage is suffering, ah. The other day, your son called me dad. But no matter what you call them, stolen packages are clearly an epidemic, and the police have come up with a few novel solutions to fight this crime. The rampant theft has the sheriff's department in Washington County, Oregon, going on offense, planting bait packages on front steps to catch culprits and deter potential criminals. Once the package is picked up, police use a combination of GPS, cell phone signal, even radio frequency to track it down. In Round Rock, Texas, one police station creating Operation Front Porch. Instead of risking theft at your home, you have your packages sent to the police station for pickup. We'll store it and categorize it, and we ask you to come pick it up within three days. A place where you keep your packages secure so customers can come pick them up? My man, you just invented a store. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. It's nice that the police are helping, but I'm gonna be honest. I think the police already have too many jobs in America. Police have to solve crimes. They have to direct traffic. They have to find shelter for the homeless. They have to do social work, answer white ladies calling 911. Now they're working retail too? So what, you're gonna have cops coming up to your car window like, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? Oh, uh, cause we got these new boots you're gonna love. <laughs> so, the police are doing what they can to stop package theft. But in many cases, you're gonna wanna call animal control as well. A Los Angeles homeowner can rest easy after learning who was stealing packages from his front door. You see it right there. Turns out it was this little guy. Surveillance video caught the sneaky squirrel in the act, grabbing an Amazon package and dragging it away. It appears the porch pirate has been pretty active. The owner says he frequently finds his packages in the bushes around the apartment complex. Yeah, you didn't see that coming, huh? <laughs> a squirrel stealing packages. I bet you thought it would be like a raccoon because they look like criminals with that mask. But you know what? That's profiling. <laughs> because statistically, squirrels and raccoons steal at the same rate, but no one suspects the squirrels because of cute privilege. <laughs> you know what's funny about this whole thing, though? Is because the squirrel takes the package and then throws it away in the bush, it's almost like the squirrel is hoping there are gonna be acorns in there and always gets disappointed, just like, damn it, another iPhone. Someday, they'll have to buy acorns. It's all anybody eats. It's all anybody eats. So when you're having gifts delivered this holiday season, please keep an eye on your packages. And if you forget to buy someone a gift, at least now you have the perfect excuse. Yarr, it was the porch pirate. Arr. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight, recently became the third woman from South Africa to win the title of Miss Universe. Please welcome Miss Universe 2019, Zozibini Tunzi. Yeah. Welcome to the 
show. Thank you. This wow. is amazing. I know. I should come here every night. This it's is amazing. amazing. You should come here every night. Just come <laughs> and hang should. out every single night. I Congratulations. Should. Thank you, Trevor. Miss Thank you. Universe. Has it sunk in yet? I don't think so. I think this is like my almost a week now. Of and being... yeah, and I'm, I think I'm getting used to it because at first people would be like, Miss Universe, and I'll just continue going. <laughs> that's not me. Miss Universe, you dropped something. <laughs> is that me? Jupiter, please, Miss Universe. <laughs> But it, 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 is, it is a surreal experience. I mean, like, because you won Miss South Africa and then you go on this journey to, you know, to compete for Miss Universe. And I mean, you, you know, it's amazing women from all around the world. Mm -hmm. The competition has evolved over the years to become more about, like, what the women are thinking yeah. as well as how you look and what you want to do in the world. So it is a challenging experience to be on. Like, what was this journey? What has it been like for you? Oof, it's been interesting since I won Miss South Africa and finding out that I would be doing Miss Universe as well. Um, it was incredible, the support that I got from back home, but it was challenging as well because I had a new look um, that people were not used to. And so um, I got crowned and I got a lot of different responses, but I was, I was quite excited about it regardless of what was happening. In, in, in what way? Tell me, tell me about the responses. Because that's uh, interesting, because a lot of people might think that would be something that happens like in a Western country uh -huh. or in another, but this was in South Africa. In South Africa. Yeah, you had won a prominently black country, mm -hmm. and yet there were people who said to you, hey, we love you, but... But, yeah, so I first won, and I got a lot of comments where, you know, a lot of people said, oh, is this the one this year? She's so underwhelming. Um, I got comments like, um, she's a downgrade from the others that we've had. And this was only from people in, in, in my country as right. well. Um, and then it got more international as people find, found out that I was going to do Miss Universe. And then international people as well started, you know, commenting in. And I think my most interesting was, one was when I came to New York for the first time, I think about four months ago. Um, I came back to South Africa, it was quite, it was late in the evening and I took a photo from my apartment and I was like, oh, such a beautiful night and a comment came in and I chuckle now, but at first I was like, what? And this guy says, oh, this photo is so black. It's as black as you are, Miss Black Ugly South Africa. And I think, yeah, it's quite, and I think it was in that moment where I was like, I'm not even mad. I'm not mad because I think it's just how society has labeled beauty to be. It's just how we've been programmed to look right. at, at beauty that way. You know, the furthest you are from being fair um, is the uglier you are. And I just saw it as an education moment because I remember putting out a post, you know, just speaking about it, speaking about colorism, speaking about racism, uh, speaking about how people need to see things in order to start believing in them. Right. Um, and that, I, that, was, that was a big thing, yeah. especially for you. And I think so many people who saw you being crowned Miss yeah. Universe was, it was a moment where many people, and this is what really interested me. I was proud as a South African. Yeah. Um, I was proud as somebody who's grown up on the continent. But what really got me is how universally, I mean, for our, for our planet, mm -hmm. many people said to see a dark-skinned woman mm -hmm. win an accolade like this, but then to see a woman with natural hair yeah. win this with her natural hair. And that's, and that's what a lot of people... That's what a lot of people initially wanted you to change. People were like, why don't you get a weave? Why don't you straighten? You're yeah. beautiful, but why don't you just straighten your uh -huh. hair? That must have been a challenge. Why didn't you straighten your hair? Why didn't you wear a weave? Yeah. Uh, because this is my hair. This was the first question I gave people. Like... <laughs> Because I don't think anyone tells other 
people to put on a weave so why why right. should i you know for at first people like was this a strategy i'm like to what to wake up and be myself <laughs> <laughs> you know and i was like no it's not a strategy i've had you know short hair for three years and i wasn't going to change because i was now stepping into a beauty platform right. because then that means i don't think my hair is beautiful if i'm going to change it and so i decided to keep it you've kept it and yeah. everyone is happy that you kept it You've also, you've also kept many of the causes that you've been passionate about, yeah. you know? Um, a lot of the time, beauty pageants are associated with a superfluous world, but, but as I've said, over the years, mm -hmm. things are changing. The, the focus is changing. What people are trying to do mm -hmm. is changing. And, and you've taken on a really powerful issue, and that's been gender-based violence, yeah. which, is, which is far from, like, a flowery issue mm -hmm. that many people would want to tackle. Why gender-based violence, and, and what would you hope people would understand in and around this conversation? Yeah. It, you know, for me, I think my, my, my thing began when I won Miss South Africa. And femicide and gender-based violence is, is very big back home. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it's not only a South African thing, it's a global issue because we have things like the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. We have things like the Time's Up movement. You know, women are fighting all over the world to be safe again in, in, in this world, which is, you know, it's quite crazy to me to have to have movements where we're fighting just to be alive, just to keep our lives. And I like to say, you know, women are an endangered species these days. I feel like one day we're just going to wake up and, you know, there's no women anymore. That and would it be was horrible. So, I know, right? <laughs> that's, that's why I'm an ally. That would be horrible. <laughs> that would be horrible. Yeah, and so my thing is about gender-based violence is to bring in the men. That's always been my main message because people will ask women, what do you think we should do to fight this? And I'm like, why are you asking me? You know, I'm not the perpetrator in most of the instances. Right. So why don't we call out on the people that are? And so... That, and that, that has been really beautiful because you have sparked a conversation, not just in South Africa, but on all mm -hmm. the platforms you've, you've taken around the world and saying, hey, we need men to be a part of this yeah. conversation. We need to be engaging men and saying, hey, here's how you can do better. Right. Here's what you can do to be better. Here's how men can call other men yeah. out in making women safe because exactly. it's, it's the men who are the perpetrators in, in this case. Mm -hmm. um, you are a week in to being Miss Universe. Yes. But it is now a journey that is going to take you over the course of a year. It'll feel like a lifetime. It'll be over in a moment. What are you most looking forward to? What are you excited to achieve? What do you, what do you, what do you just want to do in this period of your reign? I'm so excited to travel the world. I must say though, New York is so cold, oh my God. <laughs> I cannot. Oh, when I got here, I was like, I'd really love to feel my toes one more time. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm so excited to travel the world. I haven't really had the opportunity to travel before and I think this is um, gonna be quite an interesting one for me. I'm excited to have my messages and everything that I'm passionate about to just go across the globe. Mm -hmm. And one thing I always say is I don't want to feel like when I step out of um, this crown that it was wasted. I want to be responsible with it. And now I have a platform of, you know, I have 2.5 million people, thank you, following me. <laughs> Yeah, so I want to use that platform and whatever I do, it must just be purposeful work, you know. Um, but also to build my brand as well. Because when people ask me, what is this for you personally? Right. For me, I say it's the beginning of building generational wealth for my family. Because it's not, it's not something that we've had in the past. That is, that is one thing. 
that is one part of your story that I think a lot of people will be surprised by because, you know, it can often happen with the first time people see you, you're wearing a crown, you're yeah. wearing a beautiful gown or a dress, and, and people go like, wow, this has always been you. But part of the reason many South Africans were proud is because of the story that came before your victories. Yeah. And that was, you came from humble beginnings. Yes, I do. I grew up, I come from a village, Kutsolo in the Eastern Cape. Uh, yeah, <laughs> someone say yes, like the been there. <laughs> yeah, I, I come from a village and um, you would know, but you know, they wouldn't know how, how it is. The Eastern Cape, I think is one right. of the most impoverished places of, of the country. While I was fortunate enough to have a mother who's a school principal and my dad who worked, um, at least I was able to go to school, but things are quite different for other people who, who grew up there. Right. And it's quite difficult to make it out of there. And so I think because I grew up there and people saw me growing up there now, you know, I Miss Universe, it's, it's, it adds like an element of hope to people who feel like they couldn't have been able wow. to do it before. It's hope for not just those people, but people who look like you, people who people. don't look like you, people with hair, natural hair, natural everything, people Everyone. who just want to be inspired. Yeah. That's what you do. Thank you so much Thank for being on the so show. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Don't give any tunes here, everybody. Thank you very much. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.